the Line Break Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Chris Corlew, and with me, as always, is my co-host. Bob Sikora. Oh, you forgot his name. Oh, no. <laughs> this week, we are talking about books and poetry. Uh, <laughs> Same thing, huh? Still, still talking about books and poems? And- still talking about books and poems. This, uh, this topic was... Um, was your suggestion? We are talking about isolation. Obviously, this week's topic is content born out of quarantine. Everyone is, or at least should be, uh, very isolated right now, and it's tough. But I don't really want to rehash quarantine isolation talk in the intro. Uh, this is a poetry podcast. So I want to talk about the isolation of both writing and reading. Ooh. Um, of course, these don't have to be solitary endeavors. People have writing partners. People have book clubs. Publishing is an inherently communal act, but I'd argue that more often than not, especially in our chosen medium, writing and reading is a solitary act. For me personally, it's extremely private. I lock myself away in a room and I type or scroll, and no one's allowed to see my drafts until I'm extremely comfortable with them. That alone time for me is crucial. With regards to reading, I also prefer to do that in silence. No background music, no TV, nothing. That said, the act of reading and writing demands to be shared. Personally, I've never been one of those writers who is happy to write and then leave their work unread. I need at least a few people to see it, like my wife, my best friend, my parents. That's like bare minimum. I don't have any illusions that I'll ever outsell John Grisham or Dan Brown, and it's not about seeing my name in lights, but I do want to be a published writer, and I want to share my writing uh, for two reasons. One, I feel like I have something to say, and two, I think I can say it while being some combination of entertaining and interesting. So writing ends up being this weird push-pull. Don't talk to me for hours at a time, days, weeks, months. Okay, now read this extremely personal thing my brain produced. It's almost like, here, I assembled my best thoughts. I worked my absolute hardest on my thoughts. Now please tell me what you think of my thoughts. And sometimes that magically ends up being a thing that is widely shared and beloved by millions of people for years, even centuries. Sometimes that intensely personal act of writing and reading um, becomes widely communal, and I think that's rad. And this is one of those intros where I circle around a point without making much of one and then pivot to Bob. Bob, (laughs) you've written about isolation before. What's your take, for or against? (laughs) For or against isolation? Um... Huh. I, I mean, I, I agree with you, and I, 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 I'm excited by kind of that dissonance and disconnect and inherent contradiction of this thing that I pretty much can only do by myself, um, but it, it doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel like it becomes the thing until I share it. I, I have a, like... I, I didn't. I had not thought of this going into it, and now it's coming to mind. I'm like, I'm gonna say it, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be so embarrassed about this. But I definitely have a like moment, like freshman year of college. I'm gonna say four dudes in you know the tiny dorm room situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. And one of them, one of the other dudes was a writer. Two of the other dudes uh, were musicians. Guitars passed around. One guy starts reading his poems, and the one who knows me well says, like, well, you write shit. And like, that was the moment where like I pulled my notebook out and like read it to people for the first time ever. And it felt like that, you know, in the moment, and of course, especially when you're freaking 18, you know, like that felt like the thing where it's like, Oh, that's when it becomes 
whatever it is. As long as it's stuck in my notebook and stuck in a drawer or whatever, the isolated part is only so much of the equation that the sharing part is this, I don't know, somehow ceiling of it becoming a thing. Um, and yeah. I don't know how much I believe that as I'm saying it, but it just like really stuck out to me of like, oh, yeah, I no, do that, know that. That feels yeah. right. And I, um, that, uh, that's an incredible story that I'm a little jealous of. Um, I'm excited for when we stop recording to uh, see if I know anyone who's in that room. Um, but yeah, that's uh, definitely. Okay. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I'm a little jealous of that. I, I don't really remember the first time I did that with a piece of writing, but you're making me think of, um, you know, I spent all of high school in, in bands and, right. you know, there's an element to, well, if we're practicing, three times a week in a garage, what are we doing? But then when you go play a show, it's like, okay, now people see what we've been doing. Right. Um, yeah. There's some, there's something about that. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a cool um, story. And yeah, it, there, there's like, like you said, it's an inherent contradiction to the whole process. Um, but that isolation part is totally necessary. Right. When you, when you phrase the question, am I pro or against isolation? It's just a troll uh, question. I, I know. You know, I'm, I'm going to roll with it. I, I, I guess I just wanted to kind of lead with, um, like you were saying, obviously isolation is on our mind in the, the, the present moment because of quarantine, because of the virus. For me, it is extra on my mind. For our listeners at home, this is uh, not our first... Uh, recording separate. We've done this a few times, but this is the first time we're not physically in the same location um, because I moved. Um, yeah. So I'm uh, I'm recording this from Kansas City. You're in Chicago. I've got um, a job. I've got a job. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, as we were just saying before we can start recording this, this is like my 10th or 11th day down here. Um, and obviously moving to a place where I don't know anyone is this increased sense of isolation. And I've done this several times now, um, just like this intentional going to move myself away from a place and people that I love. Um, so apparently I'm very pro isolation and something I need to do every three or four years is just like remove myself sure. um, from the scene entirely. Um, but I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it's definitely, it's, it's on my mind and, and in particular, um, that incredible, um, sensation of the first night in an apartment without any furniture, <laughs> sleeping yeah. on your mattress, um, like it just hits you so intensely of like, oh shit, what did I, what did I do? I knew I was doing this for months. Yeah. Now it's here. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. I have. A similar experience where I deliberately moved to Chicago. Part part of the motivation I did really want to get away from everybody for a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, I, I I knew I just kind of wanted to. I knew I didn't want to live in Tennessee anymore, and I knew I wanted to. Uh, uh, I I I had always loved Chicago and wanted to live in Chicago, and of course it, there was school built into that too. Right. And I was I was really excited about it, and then it it was kind of a hard transition. And it's interesting to me that. Now that you mention it, you say you do it every three or four years. I haven't done it since. I've like barely left the neighborhood that I moved to. I moved to Rogers Park and then after graduation moved to Edgewater, which is one neighborhood south. And I haven't left Edgewater. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's interesting uh, that, you you know, you, you, you say 
just every couple of years, like something compels you to a hard reset. You know, you move for graduate school twice, you move right. for job this time, you know, you, you've had other reasons, but, uh, but it is compelling that, um, you've never been like, no, I need to stay in Chicago or Boston right. or Utah or whatever, you know, um, just like a, a, a move away. I don't know. There's probably something we could explore about that. That might be for therapy as opposed to uh, podcasts. But... Well, yeah, I, I, uh, when I was writing the intro, I was like, should I ask Bob about Kansas city and like moving during a quarantine? And I was like, I don't want to put all that on Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, moving during quarantine sucks. There's there's yeah. no way around it. I, I knew this was the case, but yeah, I didn't realize it until I got here. I was like, wow, it really does suck to like just have me to move one stuff into the apartment. And then like, you know, I'm buying furniture and most of it's like really crappy stuff where I have to assemble it once it's in here, but still just like lugging a thing into the apartment. I bought a table off Craigslist the other day, barely fit in my car. The guy had to help me, and then I got home, and I was like, "Well, shit, what do I do now?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, like I can't really just like knock on someone's door and be like, "Hey, you want to help me with this?" Right, right. Um, and it's like you're you're in a city where you don't know anyone, but it's not like you can like email a colleague and be like, "Hey, you want to go right. get like drinks or like yeah. coffee or something?" Like, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I had my uh, my first trip to the school and met with someone in the department and she's showing me around and, and, uh, she like apologized afterwards for like not asking me, you know, to have a coffee with her. And I was like, no, no, no we, yeah, no, don't. Right. there's no, <laughs> yeah. Like we, we walked around school with masks on. That's all we can do. Like, yeah, great. exactly. Yeah. That was a, it, it was a weird thing too. So, you know, you moved and then, uh, you know, a couple months before our, uh, Music producer and artist for the show, uh, Brendan Johnson and A.M. Strickland, uh, they moved from uh, Colorado back up here. It was the weirdest feeling because they had been planning to move back up here for the longest time, and they were going to stay at my house mm -hmm. and, while they found jobs and apartments. And all of a sudden, we just couldn't offer that to them anymore. Right. And we couldn't offer them like help moving in. We couldn't offer anything. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you moved, couldn't offer you anything, couldn't, right. couldn't be like, Oh yeah, let me know if you need a hand, like getting rid of a couch or whatever, you know, like right, it's right. just, it's the weirdest thing. My wife and I have talked about this a lot. Um, just the, uh, sort of having to unlearn a lot of politeness during yeah. quarantine. Like you don't hold doors open for people anymore. <laughs> like just, just don't do that. You know, <laughs> just like really bizarre, really like unsettling. And it feels rude. Like if I'm going into like a convenience store or something and someone's coming out of the store and I can see them and they like have their bags or whatever. And then you're just like, you're just like standing there like six feet away from them, mm -hmm. waiting for them to exit. Yeah. And normally I would grab the door and open it for them. But you're instead you're just like, uh, hey, you're gonna get out of the store anytime soon. Like I, I need to I need to run in real quick. Very weird effect of quarantine. Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if I have the words for it. This feels like a good segue into poetry. It does. Um, in that part of what I was thinking when I was looking for a poem today, um or I guess I didn't know what I was looking for. Pulled sure. out myself, read it. And it was one of those things where it's like, holy shit, this poem I read entirely different now mm. than I did years ago. Okay. Um, and how much that excited me. And yeah, that the isolation that's on my mind right now has a lot to do with the way that maybe isolation in general, maybe, I'm not, not firm on that, but at least like this current moment of isolation 
is just shining such a light on the way things are now compared to the way they used to be. Um, and the way that maybe they can't be the same again or the way that, or in a good positive way, the way they could be different. Sure. You know? Um, yeah. and, and that's a, like an exciting moment of maybe clarity is not the right word, but of, of abil- the ability to see all that. Sure. Possibility. And, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. is really freaking cool. Scary. Right. Um, you know, um, so somehow I think maybe that's a segue. <laughs> okay, no, that works. Yeah, let's hear let's hear the poem. Okay. I haven't read this book in full in years, but I I'm going to argue that this is the the book of poetry that I most often like just pull out of my bookshelf just to like, yeah, I want to see something in here again and just read a poem or two. I like that. Um, okay. So this is from Tracy K Smith's second uh, collection, Duende. Um, And it's called, I Don't Miss It. But sometimes I forget where I am. Imagine myself inside that life again. Recalcitrant mornings. Sun, perhaps. Or more likely colorless light, filtering its way through shapeless cloud. And when I begin to believe I haven't left, the rest comes back. Our couch. My smoke climbing the walls while the hours fall. Straining against the noise of traffic, music, anything alive to catch your key in the door. And that scamper of feeling in my chest, as if the day, the night, wherever it is, I am by then, has been only a whir of something other than waiting. We hear so much about what love feels like. Right now, today, with the rain outside, and leaves that want as much as I do to believe in May, in seasons that come when called. It's impossible not to want to walk into the next room and let you run your hands down the sides of my legs, knowing perfectly well what they know. Yeah. (laughs) Man. So... My immediate reaction on reading this poem was like, this is almost a perfect, this is a perfect lyric. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a perfect little breakup poem. It, it like, isn't trying to like gut punch you or anything, but it does right. anyway. Um, <laughs> I felt like, yeah, I even like the trick of the title overlapping with the first line The yeah. I don't miss it, but sometimes I don't always love that, but, um, okay. <laughs> but I really, I really liked it here. Yeah. Um, when it works, it super works. And when it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the thing that stuck out to me uh, was how it uses physical spaces to evoke past life. Ooh, yeah. To catch your key in the door and that scamper of feeling in my chest or the, the ending where it says, it's impossible not to want to walk into the next room. Right. Unless you run your hands down the sides of my legs. Uh, so much of that longing comes from the power of physical space. Um, yeah. It reminded me of, uh, this, is, this is a bit of a silly aside, but... <laughs> The apartment I lived in before this one, um, we were there for five years. The cat that we have was there for four. Um, and it was a one-bedroom place. It was really small. So the cat loved to run out in the hallway. 
uh, every time we open the door and roll around the carpet. It wasn't always a good idea because all of our neighbors have these giant dogs um, and not all of the dogs liked cats. <laughs> but uh, so we'd always try to like prevent her from running out, but she would shoot around anyway. And now by twist of fate, my brother lives in the same building. And every time I go visit him and like open the door or if like he's out of town and like taking care of his house, like house sitting for him or whatever, every time I open the door, I expect my own cat to come running out of his <laughs> apartment. Right. Um, that's very different than a breakup, but that's just like, that's like what I thought of when I read this For poem. Sure. It was just For like sure. what physical space does to us. Absolutely. Um, I think it's probably true of actual homes too, but as people who have lived in apartments for the past 15 years, I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. God, how old are we? Uh, right. I, that really resonates with me too, of just how much a physical space is marked by memory um, and, and, you know, and, and again, like thinking from just like very immediate things of like, it's so jarring to look at your old bedroom empty, you know, the morning I was getting ready to leave, like that is the space where I spent almost two years, yeah. um, especially a lot of time recently, you know? Yeah. And then like, yeah. there it is. It's empty. Um, looks weirdly bigger now that all my stuff's out of it. <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, and similarly, like, I, I feel like a weird kind of anxious haunting over like the ways that like, yeah, you live in this space for a long time. And then like, it's been just, especially with apartments. And again, I guess this is probably true of homes, but it's just been so long for me, you know, but just so, like that, you can actually never go back into that place. That yeah. It's just this memory going on. With. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I didn't think about that. Like, yeah, you, you really, yeah. Like I, you know what I, I live, still live close to campus. And so, you know, I'll sometimes walk past there and be like, well, one of my dorms has been demolished, but like one of, one of the other ones, um, you you can see it. And it's like, yeah, that was the first place I lived in when I moved to Chicago, but I'm not going, I can't go back in there. I don't have a key card. Um, (laughs) I'm now 32. It'd be weird if I even like use the bathroom, you know, Uh, I will say, not to go too far off on the side, uh, that was generally a favorite thing of mine in Chicago is to go way up north, by Loyola, walk by the lake, and to know that I could always find a bathroom on campus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Knew, I knew exactly where I needed to go. <laughs> um, back into poem land. <laughs> um, right smack in the middle of this one. Um, it's this kind of long, winding sentence. Um, straining against the noise of traffic, music, anything alive. As you noted, that that awesome line to catch your key in the door. Um, such an just efficient efficient use of space there uh, to get like the exact thing. Like, we all know that. Absolutely. Um, and the scamper of feeling in my chest, as if the day, the night, wherever it is, I am by then has only has only been a whir and just a fantastic line break. Line break. Uh, title. Roll credits. <laughs> Um, has only been aware of something other than waiting. And that line just resonates so damn much um, with the moment um, of us still being in quarantine so many months later. Yeah. Um, You know, and and I was recently trying to uh, catch up on my journaling, you know, and uh, I try to like have something for every day for this and just, you know, trying to mark up a little calendar and just be like, I have, absolutely no idea what happened for so many of these days sure it is because just like life is 
a lot of time, I mean, for me, you know, I, I was teaching a single online summer class this summer, getting ready to move. Like there was just a lot of like this empty waiting space and like, what am I doing? And, uh, I know, uh, I think I've seen plenty of folks on Twitter who can relate to that idea, you know, of quarantine started and we were going to do all these projects and whatever, and, uh, going to zoom with our friends all the time. And at this point it's just like, no, yeah you know yeah hard at this point frankly like i feel you on that for sure (laughs) yeah oh man yeah i definitely i definitely feel you on that i um (laughs) i'm not sure i you know i i feel like i was uh uniquely built for quarantine because i've been a stay-at-home dad for so long right and so for the first few months it really didn't get to me that way yeah Um, but I've definitely felt that during the summer months now that it's Mm -hmm. warm, um, and that's, that's maybe a Chicago specific thing or, or, or anyone who lives in a climate where it's cold and miserable in the winter, it like really hit like in the month of July has like, you know, uh, prime beach weather, prime grilling out weather. Uh, my kid's birthday is in July and, um, it's just like, oh, we can't we can't really invite our friends over and you're, yeah, you're just like, yeah, that, that waiting. And even the, the, the catch key in the door, it's like, I would love to be able to just buzz people into my apartment again. You know? uh, and, and just exactly here. I mean, that, that's what I was kind of pointing to with this was how, as you, as you mentioned right off the bat, like this is obviously a poem about um, a lover and after a breakup and after that person's gone and like isolation in that sense. Um, but it just, hit me so hard right now. Yeah. There is not a specific lover that I'm wishing would come through the door. Um, frankly, it's any lover. With that I'm <laughs> any, wishing <laughs> any lover, any person. Any yeah. <laughs> uh, someone came, uh, someone rung my doorbell at the apartment for the first time. And I was sitting in my room and I had my door closed. So I've got window unit air conditioners. I was like, just trying to, you know, keep the room cool. And it's been hot as hell. And I was like, wait, what is that? And then I, go to the door and then someone's knocking on the door on the second floor. Cause I, yeah. Uh, and it was a census person. Oh, oh man. We were both so upset. I was like, oh, I filled it out already in Chicago. I, you don't, you only have to talk to me for literally a minute. And then you leave. <laughs> but exactly. I was, what? <laughs> a person for me? Oh my God. And what then, a surreal experience. <laughs> And I wanted to think too. You you mentioned that uh, the the title leading into the first line thing, um, which as a, a a practice, I like it better than a bad title. I sure. like it better than untitled. Oh um, yeah, I'm not a Frank O'Hara aside. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of um, saying, titling something like, poem. Right, unless you're Frank, I. Uh, again, I like this better than just calling it poem. Um, this one particularly works um, because you know it's it's a turn right off the bat, saying I yeah. don't miss it. But really, here's all the stuff that I do miss, and and again, that's what like got me with this poem. And again, speaking to that, the ability in this moment of isolation to like see the past and to consider like what the future will look like. You know, like there are a lot of things. Yeah, there are things that I do miss, and there are things that I don't miss. Yeah. But also, like, what is it that I do really want in this mm-hmm. moment? Kind of comes to life. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, am feeling as I'm talking about this, I'm like, yeah, this, uh, this is a poem where 
I mean, it's classic. Tracy K. Smith is is incredible. Yeah, she's great. Um, yeah, yeah, like like one of these poets. Yeah, where I feel like every I could have picked any one of these absolute banger. There's actually there was a uh, a Sestina a little bit earlier that I almost picked. You know, Ooh, that would have been fun. This is also to me like. Pulling this out of the bookshelf, I pulled the, I opened to a page. It was a Sestina. I was like, "Ooh, I might want to use that." Flipped a couple yeah. pages. All this poem was like, Shh, "I'm going to use this." You know, yeah. I just went for it. Just um, you. right? But uh, it is. I just. It might be the moment. Um, it might just be the poem. But it's like, yeah, it's like the craft is here. I know yeah. this is a really well written poem, but mostly it's just like it's making me feel so much stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, yeah. Like I, 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 the weight of the feelings is like what. I think I was most wanting to talk about and go through with this. Yeah. It, it, it hit me too. And then, and as we're talking about it, it's just, it's hitting me more of just like, yeah, what a, what a, what a poem for the moment uh, mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, I, I guess, yeah. Part, part of the way I think about it um, is the, like, I don't miss it. Oh, but here are, all of the little things I do miss. I think about know? that every time someone's like, oh, we never need to go into an office again or whatever. You know, like someone says like, oh, yeah. cool, you know, like lockdown is good for, for X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that might be true. Or maybe, you know, maybe I agree with that, with right. what, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z is, but then it's like, oh, but like this and this and this too. Like I miss this. I miss this. I miss, right. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> just starting off feeling some stuff you know yeah <laughs> you know uh, just a just a poem acting like a poem's supposed to <laughs> uh, oh my um i think uh you're also gonna make us feel some stuff <laughs> i i think so um it's a different different type of isolation i'm gonna talk about but um like you was just scouring the bookshelf and um, my thoughts on isolation immediately made me think, well, maybe I should pick this book up again. This is from Claudia Rankine's Don't Let Me Be Lonely. And it's a book I haven't read since like 2008 in its entirety, mm-hmm. but I remember really liking it was just like, well, the title is Don't Let Me Be Lonely. We're talking about isolation. So why don't I just flip through this? So here's an excerpt. I'll just read the excerpt and then we'll talk about it. Oh, and I, I should say this, um, this book is a it's it's a long poem. It's a it's a poetic essay, and it is filled with um, pictures and like found media. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the middle of this excerpt, there is a um, a picture of a guideline from the United States Postal Service. So I'm, I'm going to read that as if it's part of the essay. When New York City arrived home, it received a message from the Postmaster General. What should make me suspect a piece of mail? It's unexpected or from someone you don't know. It's addressed to someone no longer at your address. It's handwritten and has no return address or bears one that you can't confirm is legitimate. It's lopsided or lumpy in appearance. It's sealed with excessive amounts of tape. It's marked with restrictive endorsements, such as personal or confidential. It has excessive postage. What should I do? with a suspicious piece of mail. Don't handle a letter or package that you suspect is contaminated. Don't shake it, bump it, or sniff it. Wash your hands thoroughly with soap and water. 
notify local law enforcement authorities. Two questions. What should make me suspect a piece of mail? What should I do with a suspicious piece of mail? These are apparently real questions. People are sick and have died. What should I do? I shouldn't shake it, bump it, or sniff it. I shouldn't handle it. I should notify authorities. I should wash my hands thoroughly with soap and water. As the days pass, I begin to watch myself closely. The America that I am is washing her hands. She is checking for a return address. She is noticing the postage amount. Then the moment comes. Inhalation, anthrax, or a common cold. I have to ask myself. Something happens. A new kind of white powder. And I am led inside. Do I like who I am becoming? Is this me? Fear? Fear and phlegm? Fear airborne? Fear foreign? My flushing toilet? My hot water? My air conditioner? My health insurance? My, my, my. All my mys were American-made. This is how I was alive. Or I wasn't alive. I was a product. Or I was like a product. A product of and like Walt Disney's cell animation. Stylishly animated. Somewhat comic. I used to think of myself as a fearless person. Similarly, uh, especially as we got to that last uh, paragraph, or I guess it's two paragraphs, uh, this is something where it's like, oh, I can't even read this the same anymore. Yeah. You know? How many words do you have to change before it sounds like it was written in 2020? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> do you want to hear? Uh, so this is, it's from 2004. And if you read the entire book, it's, it's extremely post 9-11. Um, do you want to hear how Grey Wolf Press, the press who released it, describes it? Let's go. <laughs> Don't Let Me Be Lonely is an important new confrontation with our culture right now. With a voice at its heart, bewildered by the anxieties of race riots, terrorist attacks, medicated depression, and the antagonism of the television that won't leave us alone. Change television to Twitter. Change terrorist attacks to pandemic. Yeah, right. That's that's all you have to do. That's it. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe that this book is is from 2004 because I read it. I want to say in spring of nine, I actually read both of these books for the same class. This on a content level, this book wrecked me. Yeah. Um, It's so good. And so much. And I mean, that classic where it's like, it's about so many things. I don't even know how I could begin to, you know, uh, try and try and summarize it for someone. Yeah. I just vaguely wave my hands and say post nine 11. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I, I think, and she's done this now for the two books, uh, calling it an American lyric is exactly what it needs to be called. Oh yeah. But, but also just on a formal level, like you're saying it, you know, it's, I have never seen anything like it. I'm still trying to think what I've, what I've seen that's quite like it. Um, you know, yeah, it feels like this, this, it's a mixed media poem. Um, Mm -hmm. and and I know, as I say that, that there are other poets who have do do things like that or, you know, similar. Um, but I still have this, this book length thing, um, that, you know, in some ways feels like an essay. Um, it's still, still has 
all of the moves that a great poem is going to have um, and has these images coming throughout and this re- repetition of the images. Um, yeah. It, yeah. And I think all of those things lead to very effective effective like, affect is the word I'm looking for. The experience, right. you know, is has, yeah, has, ugh, I, I, I am without words for how much I love this book. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while since I read it. So I'm probably going to keep it out and read the whole thing again. Enough of me talking. You say something. <laughs> sure. 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 Well, I have a little bit of a, I have, I have a, I have a slight bit of a, uh, I guess a, a rant that ends in a question. Okay. Uh, for why I chose this for isolation. Uh, it wasn't just that the title of the book is don't let me be lonely. <laughs> um, so it's it's a it's a book. You know, we were talking about it feels prescient for 2020, even though it was written in 2004. And I think the frustrating thing about that is that um, it reminds me that despite the lofty promises of the Obama administration, we have not at all gotten over the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go back further, where despite sure. temporary economic triumphs of the Clinton administration, we are still suffering greatly from policies enacted by Reagan and Clinton and Bush and even Obama. There's an idea when we're on our neighborhood walks, I see yard signs that say like flush the turd on November 3rd and with like a picture of Trump and a diaper on it. Right. You know, and there's this idea that like, once we get Trump out, we're going to be okay. And we won't, we, right. we're not going to be okay. Uh, there's going to be a lot of work left to do. There's going to be a lot of work left to fix shit that happened before you and I were even born. Right. Um, uh, you know, cut to all the people of color listening, being like, yeah, we've been telling you, <laughs> but it just reminded me of like, you know, like there's, there's, there's the talk of like the hand washing and the USPS being in trouble and people as products and race-based fear and health insurance anxiety. And like, Walt Disney gets brought up and we're like all focused on Disney world right now because the NBA is happening in Disney world, you know, like it, it just feels like, so like insert Russ Cole smashing a beer can time is a flat circle gif here. Um, <laughs> and for me, what it, what it made me think of, and I, this is purely a reading within regards to like the topic at hand and things like yeah. that. Um, do you ever feel like a painful isolation in when you know you're right about something and other people don't see it? Like if you see something like, and I I say this as a person who is frequently wrong about a lot of things. um, But like when you can see something bad coming from miles away Mm -hmm. and everyone around you doesn't think that it's going to be that bad. And it turns out the bad thing happens and you were right. (laughs) But it yeah. doesn't feel good to be right. Like, sure. For me, this is the, the Iraq war. Um, mm-hmm. I remember specifically one day my mom picked me up from school and I heard like an NPR report about how UN inspectors hadn't found weapons of mass destruction, but Bush wanted to go to war anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was 15 and so a few years away from conscription age. And um, I had this radical world history teacher who was like uh, feeding us like Vietnam comparisons and things like that. Yeah. So it became like super anti-war and like, um, but it felt like everyone around me thought war was a good idea. Yeah. Um, and I, I know I have selective memory about that. I know I do. Cause like none of my friends were pro-war. My parents weren't pro-war. The pastor at my church gave a sermon that was anti-war. Um, right. but it just felt like everyone around me was fine with it. And the Iraq war was, and still is a complete disaster. It's still having a negative impact on our entire planet. 
And every time there's some news item that you can link easily back to the Iraq war, like a soldier with PTSD murders somebody, or someone mentions all the social programs we could be funding by slashing our military budget, or, you know, just something new happens in that region that's bad and probably wouldn't have happened had we not gone over there. I just feel like I feel a little bit lonelier because Hmm. it's like I was... 15 and stupid and didn't know anything, but I was right about that. Right, right. And, it, and people made me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I was, but I was right. And it just, <laughs> it, and I wonder if like, I was reading this portions of this book and like thinking about how salient it was. I was like, I wonder how Claudia Rankin rereads this book now. If she yeah, ever rereads it, you absolutely. know, and it's like, do, do you, do you ever feel just like lonely for yeah being right about something terrible um i don't know it's a weirdly specific feeling that i I, i'm still hashing out um but um yeah i don't know and again i I really don't want to be like i really don't want to be like i'm right all the time everyone else you know like needs to listen to me it's this is not that it's it's a very sad feeling Uh um well as you were saying it that was like the first thing that came to my mind was like i imagine claudia rankin feels yeah, maybe not that, but something <laughs> of that. If, knowing how dead on and still relevant this is, it must just be. It, I feel like it must just be upsetting. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, for me, that's definitely been something that's been on my mind. Both when I've attended a recent protest um, and like just watching it on the news, just remember, just remembering so vividly this exact same thing in 2014. Um, you know, and just being like, what really is it going to take? And again, like me as like a white person who became alerted to all this, you know, so late in my life and, and knowing that there are people, you know, yeah, who have black people and other people of color have lived their whole lives, you know, with this shit and being like, still really again, we're going to do this again. Um, it was Trayvon Martin for me that with specifically with like black lives matter where, and that was like, wait, how old was I in 2013? Um, 26 i mean jesus like yeah, and other right. people just knew that you know right right but similarly uh kind of i think this is similar it just reminds me of it and, and I, I guess getting back to um you know the way i would describe this book is that it's about so many things um and it's funny uh to think of that in a poetry context because I, I do think i describe a lot of like big great novels that way Sure. Um, I'm, I'm looking at my shelf if there's any that I actually would want to like say that about without being embarrassed. Um, but maybe I'll hold off on it. But just that idea of contemporary life, and it's something to do with access of information and the media and the internet, you know. But yeah, there's nothing new or profound that I'm pointing to. But you know, uh, just sometimes the overwhelming amount of one, just regular information, but two in particular of like bad information. Sure. Just like shitty things happening feels really lonely and isolating and yeah. it like makes me want to shut down and retreat further. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think there's something in this book about that and, and the weight of that. And, and yeah, and certainly uh, the television is the recurring theme here. Uh, right. You know, in, in the book. And, and there's a lot of these images of like the television on static and that idea of like waking up in the middle of the night of like, Oh shit! What was I watching? And I get, you know, I guess the more the contemporary kind of equivalent would be Netflix asking if you're still watching. You know, yeah, yeah. like like where am I present with anything? 
because it made me think of all the time. Yeah. It made me think of um, the television static of um, waking up in the morning and um, checking Twitter, mm-hmm. um, especially mm-hmm. with like all the Portland protests going on now. Right. So like right. if I go to sleep at like midnight um, central time and then wake up at like six thirty or seven central time, I've missed like a ton of things that have happened in Portland the night before. Right. You know, right. And then just like, in the morning checking Twitter and being like, Oh my God, like, yeah. Oh wait, this was all last night. Should I have like, should I have driven to Portland? Should I have done something? You know, like, right. uh, yeah, it's a right. bizarre, like alienating feeling. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I know um, that uh, we've, we've gotten away from like craft discussion and things like that, but, uh, yeah. but this, this, this book is subtitled in American lyrics. So I think, I, I think it's relevant. <laughs> and then, again, as the last poem, it's like, just like sometimes that's what a poem is going to make us do. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, and, and that, like, I, most poets that I, I know, I think, would like to be admired for their craft, um, but it is also, like, that initial instinct to write, you know, doesn't necessarily come from, from that, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, I have, like you were saying, I have a thing that I want to say, I think I have a, a valuable way of saying it and presenting it, you know, yeah. Right, and I, I'm not one of those people who thinks that art has a responsibility to be moral or be didactic <laughs> or whatever, but um, I I know that I personally want mine to be, you know. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, not not necessarily didactic, but at least you know have some sort of moral center, you know, and, sure. and yeah, um, be resonant with something the way that this book is resonant with me. Absolutely. Um, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> all those things and like yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah. well i just i feel like this is one of those things where i could i could i could get going for hours and we have to, sure. we have to keep the podcast short <laughs> we do that was uh, one of the one of the first uh compliments we got uh was the, the length of the podcast <laughs> before someone had even clicked before they even listened yeah all right <laughs> To be fair, a dear friend of ours. <laughs> I was going to say, worth noting, this is the first one we're recording having released podcasts into the world. That's like, true. We, yeah. It's the first time we know that it's a thing and that uh, we can count uh, listens. Uh, yeah. For uh, for everyone listening at home who's still uh, trying to uh, start a podcast during the quarantine, uh, yeah, it turns out it's hard. But in the name of keeping things brief and not getting too... <laughs> Too lost in the weeds with uh, political discussion because, yeah, you and I can go forever. Suck some hoops. Hoops right. is about to start again. Hoops are um, back. Hoops are back. The NBA is back. Um, WNBA started today. Nice. Uh, shout out to the WNBA. Uh, an underrated sport to attend. Season. Yeah. Um, so, question today. Topic is isolation. Okay. Who is your favorite iso ball player? And I want a quick point of clarification. This is not who do you trust with the ball in their hands in game seven and you need a bucket. Right. Uh, you know, you and I are both big MJ fans. Um, right. You know, we could, we're going to leave like the LeBron Durant Harden debate to all the Instagram meme makers. Um, <laughs> but I want to see what you personally, who is the player you really love watching work with the other four guys cleared out to the weak side. Um, right. It can be a post player or a wing player. Um, so I'll go first while you think. Right. With sincerest apologies to Allen Iverson, whom I have a framed poster of in my office, I am going Jamal Crawford. Okay. Uh, one-time bull. Um, to me, there's just something so cool about him. Uh, he has like these like long arms and legs and the way he dribbles. Um, 
it, it's it's it's. I watched Jamal Crawford, and it feels like it never stopped being 2003, um, <laughs> but like in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's an N one mixtape guy who is actually really good. Um, I don't know if you ever played on N one, but you should have. <laughs> And there's just something about his aesthetic that gets to me, um, like the, yeah, like the the way his arms seem just like way too long for his body, and like he has like the baggy clothes like flowing yep. everywhere, and he's just like yep. he's just such a cool player. Yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm. I've said before, I'm I'm more of a fan of the beautiful game with everyone like cutting and passing and shooting and things like that. Um, so I'm not a big one-on-one hero ball guy, but uh, the fact that uh, Jamal Crawford like is back in the league and there are videos of him in practice, like teaching rookies, like weird dribbling tricks is just like, right. uh, it's so awesome. Love Jamal Crawford. <laughs> um, that's fair. And that's a great choice. Uh, as you said, he looks ageless. Um, yeah. it's incredible. And, uh, yeah, he was generally thin and uh, wore really baggy clothes and had this like just loose dribble that, he was very in control, but it felt like, where is the ball going in these crossovers? Um, and he played for the Clippers for a long a time. number of years there at the end. Yeah. Uh, won at least one six-man of the year with them. And that's part of, when you thought when you said the question, I immediately thought of Jamal Crawford and the Williams. Um, who I think who, the Clippers basically, when Jamal just, left, just got Lou Williams. Exactly. And, we, got, yeah. we got Lou Williams and Jamal left and... Uh, it was the exact same thing, and it's. I find it really frustrating. Um, it's. I think he's found a better medium, and it helps that Lou Will has um, Montrez Harold to pick and roll with. Like they have a thing, but for a while there, it felt like Doc Rivers just kind of relied on Jamal Crawford and Lou Will to get a basket. Yeah. Um, for stretches of time, and just being like, but also an offense would be. Cool. And maybe some ball movement and you know the beautiful the beautiful game stuff you're talking about. Um, so as much as I agree with you, I think Jamal was a fun player to watch. As a fan of the team, it was just really frustrating. He also uh, had some playoff uh, chunk, you know, not great appearances. Sure, sure. Um, so I have that stinging on me. This is a tough question for me. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um. And I think part of it is because, like, immediately in my mind, I'm like, I want to think of, like, a, a, a great post player. I like the idea of an isolation post player. Just no one plays like that anymore. Right. No one's, you know. Um, I, the troll answer is, like, you know, like, Carlos Boozer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Just because I brought up a clipper you don't like doesn't mean you have to bring up a bull that I don't like. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I'll say... Um, what does come to mind when I think about it um, is since he's been out of the league for a couple of years, I miss Dirk's one-on-one game. Mm. Uh, you know, it's like Dirk and the high posts, like hesitate, hesitate, fake, and like he could take it in. He could just turn around. You know, he could do his little turnaround shot. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, uh, I love clunkier guys because they remind me of myself. Sure. Um, sure. You know, like. Part of me, again, also like not a real answer. But it goes like, you know, you know, Blake Griffin, you know, because <laughs> his entire game is just this herky jerk move that, you know, just like, yeah, there's, there's no finesse to his post game. And yeah. I, I relate to that. <laughs> that's, that's fair. But when I think of, I think Dirk is a great answer. When I think of Blake, I think of um, that 
one, two, three screen roll where he screens for Chris Paul, gets the pass <laughs> of the elbow, and then alley oops to DeAndre. Mm-hmm. Or I think of him catching alley oops on the break. Sure. Yeah. And I know that he has added a lot to his game. I really respect like the way he has through all injuries and things like that, like like added so much to the game his game. He's become like a really good passer and a really good playmaker, a really good um point forward sometimes. Right. He doesn't count as an ISO player to me, I don't feel like. <laughs> if the first if the first two things I think of are a one, two, three pick and roll and catching alley oops on the break, not an ISO guy. <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. It just it did happen. <laughs> was never pretty um and he still found ways to score but yeah it was yeah yeah the exact opposite of jamal crawford where you want to watch this happen over and over again (laughs) you don't Um, want to watch it with like no little tyrannosaurus Um, arms the exact opposite (laughs) arms of of jamal crawford (laughs) and also just on the jamal thing just shout out to i'd forgotten about this till i'm thinking about but he had a like cross you up and like just like this like to call it a runner feels unfair, but like, yeah, it would be this kind of runner long shot that just, it didn't make sense. I don't yeah. know how you can do it. He was one of those guys where just like, it never seemed like the ball was going where it was supposed to go, but he, right. but you knew he was in control. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, just like a, a whirling dervish. <laughs> in my head, a little bit, the answer is uh yes, just because we're starved for basketball. Is Jamal Crawford being on the Brooklyn Nets enough for you to watch uh, Raptors Nets first round uh, games? That's tough because <laughs> that's really tough because I just aggressively hate the Nets. Um, but part of what I hate about the Nets is their home court. Like, I don't like the way their court looks, I don't like the way their uniform looks. I don't like anything about their aesthetic. I, I, I just I don't like anything about the Nets. On the contrary, I love everything about the Raptors. I love their uniforms. Yeah. love their home court. I love Pascal Siakam. I, re- I love Father of the Year Fred Van Fleet. I love <laughs> uh, Marc Gasol. I love Serge Ibaka and his cooking show where he serves people brains. Like I just I love everything about the Raptors. I love right. Nate Nurse and his acoustic guitar. So... If you'd said Nets magic, I'd emphatically say no. But Nets Raptors, sure. I might watch just for the sake of it being the Raptors. <laughs> I mean, I know for myself, as I say that, I'm like, if if I'm home, there's free time, I feel like watching basketball, I'm not going to care what game is on. If I, you know, like... Yeah, I, uh, I, I've i already blocked it out where, like, on, uh, on the 31st, I'm just going to be like, look, I'm... I'm going to be watching a lot of basketball. <laughs> I will still be around to parent and I can cook dinner and do all the stuff we normally do, but it's like, I'm going to be watching a lot of basketball. There's, there's, some, there's some basketball to watch. Yeah. <sighs> and it will make me feel less isolated. Did I do it? Did yeah. I do a sign off? That, that was, that was <laughs> the connection. <laughs> all right that's an episode for us uh we'll talk to you guys next time